I want to invite my good friend Josh uh, Montague up. Josh is one of the missionaries we support with TLI, Training Leaders International, but he also was a pastor in Verona for several years. And I went to the Philippines with Josh in January. It was a great trip. Um, his cinematic choices aren't exactly my <laughs> cinematic choices, but um, we'll, him, we'll talk about that later, yeah. not now. Um, but he's a good friend, and he's come to bring us God's word this morning. But one of the things that I hope he talks about a little bit is Training Leaders International is a ministry that when I went on that, I loved the fact that, that our leaders here who have theological training are going to pour into their leaders so they can do the ministry in their context, not a bunch of Americans coming over, saving the day in a missionary sense. We want to train leaders to make disciples in their local churches. And so Josh can tell you more about that, but a real hope welcome to my good friend, Josh Montague. Thanks. 75% of the trip to the Philippines, our team spent arguing about one movie. Um, and, and we still do. There's like all of a sudden on a Tuesday afternoon, somebody group texts the entire group and makes some reference to that movie. And like the, the team like almost came to blows over that one, which was good because uh, one of the, well, two of the guys are giants and they were both on the opposing side from me. And I'm a tall guy, but I, they would crush me. And uh, I think Craig paid them uh, to do that. Uh, Good to be back. It's been, a, it's been a while. I've been, I was here, I think, about a year and a half ago, and some of you uh, came up and greeted me, so I'm impressed that you remembered a guest speaker from a year and a half ago. That's uh, probably better than I would do. So uh, good to be back, though. Um, I, I have a, just a, a job that I'm, the, what I get to do now and the, the things I get to see are pretty um, humbling and um, exciting, uh, two words that I would use. Uh, my, my role with Training Leaders International partly is to lead about five trips a year to different areas of the world where church leaders don't have access to theological education, either going to a school, Bible school, seminary, or even going, like Russell is, to Orlando to receive further training and advance his uh, theological education. 85% of the world's pastors have no formal theological education. And if you don't know how to read and interpret the Bible, and you don't have a pastor that knows how to read and interpret the Bible rightly, it leads the church into some really difficult, bad places. And I've seen that in the world. And so what we've been able to do is take guys who have some theological education, who have some experience, who know how to read and study and preach Scripture, and take them to different areas of the world where church leaders don't have that opportunity. And so we use those who are trained to train those who are untrained to lead the churches. We don't go into the churches necessarily for long extended periods of time. They're all we visit every once in a while, but we're there to train the leaders so that they can lead their church. And uh, it's been a blessing to see that. Our, our model is not just to jump in, do a weekend conference. We go back to a location at least nine times. And so where Craig and I were at in the southern Philippines, we, uh, I think that was the fourth or fifth time that TLI had been there out of nine times. And we were at the point where you start to see the fruit of that. And I think Craig has probably told you about seeing different guys get up and preach God's word faithfully and draw people to Jesus by opening their Bibles and saying, look what Christ has done. And when I was there probably about two years ago, for the first time TLI was in Mindanao there in the southern Philippines, a lot of the guys would talk about how they'd preach, and preaching to them was just get up and share a testimony, which has its time and place. Like, that's all good to hear that. But 
preachers need to be pointing people into the word so we can hear what God has done, not just what happened to you over the week. But the common way to preach there was entirely different. They weren't pointing people towards Jesus. They were pointing people towards themselves. And so when we went there in January, we were able to see people pointing people through the words of Scripture to Christ and the gospel. And it was... uh, it was exciting. I still, I still get excited about that trip and thinking through that one. So, um, so I lead trips like that. I get to recruit other pastors to, to lead trips like that. I lead our team of international trainers and train our trainers. So it's a, it's a crazy job <laughs> and uh, it's an exhausting job. I was in Dubai in March training uh, a group of 10 pastors from a closed country. Uh, we brought them to Dubai, trained them there, and it was an amazing experience. These guys have martyrs in their church. Uh, we trained martyrs in Dubai, which is amazing. Uh, in May, I was in Nepal, and, uh, which is a cool city to be in. I love Kathmandu and the city there. It's the first time I've ever been there. We taught a course on the book of Galatians. And while I was studying Galatians and preparing to teach the book of Galatians to a bunch of Nepali pastors and church leaders... I came across Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and it rocked me. You ever have that, where you're just kind of reading and just kind of like flipping through your Bible, thinking through a Bible study you're going to go to or whatever, and you're like, ooh, that one, that one caught something. And that's where I'm going to land today. So if you have a Bible, I would really invite you to open up so that you can see not just the words that we're going to look at, but what's around this passage. We're going to study this, we're going to wrestle with it, we're going to chew on it. I asked the folks in the back there how long Craig usually goes. They said about an hour and a half. Um, I'm going to try to keep it shorter than that, all right? So <laughs> they didn't say that, Craig. They, they said many other things about you, but nothing like that. So, <laughs> All right, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Pause for a second, and uh, we'll get there, and we'll read that text. But let me kind of just tease this off for you a little bit and get some thinking in your head first before we dive into what Paul writes to the church at Galatia. Okay, if I say the word freedom, you're going to see the word freedom on the second line up here, right at the beginning of our passage here. If I says the word freedom, what do you think, right? What do you think about? You don't have to answer or anything. I'm not going to make you turn to your neighbor. Just think freedom. What does freedom mean? We just celebrated the 4th of July, what, a couple weeks ago? You know, freedom, so we blow stuff up and we eat dead, meat, dead uh, animals, right? That's what we do on the 4th of July. Freedom, we celebrate our country's freedom, our independence. Freedom, what does it mean? Sometimes we think freedom is the ability to do whatever we want. I think if you surveyed the, the person on the street, whether that's Minneapolis or whether that's Lake Mills, the average person would say something like freedom is the, 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 the ability to do whatever I want. Fair enough? All right? You can argue with that or not, but I think that's probably about true. Um, In in March, I spent a couple days in London visiting a friend of mine on my way back from Dubai, and I was walking, first time I've ever been in London, I was walking from like the north side of London to the south side of London. I had the whole morning to walk and just walk through the town and I love doing that kind of stuff. And my friend was going to meet me for lunch. We are going to spend the afternoon together. So I'm just walking. And if you know London all, there's a whole Westminster Abbey stuff and all that beautiful palace and everything. I kind of walk past there. And I'm walking through this little square. And I look up in London. I'm in London. This is England, right? Over the ocean. I look up and there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln. And I, I, I like had this moment where like, whoa, did I, 
some, what just happened? There's Lincoln in London. He'd never been, never traveled to London. Why is he there? And then I look around, and there's Gandhi, and there's, uh, what, what is he doing there? There's, there's Nelson Mandela. What is he doing there? So I kind of like get my bearings. I kind of gotten lost in thought or something like that. And there's a square in London, Parliament Square, where one side of the square is just these monuments and these statues that, that represent those who, who uh, promoted the idea of human rights and freedom. So Lincoln and Gandhi and Mandela are the ones that I remembered there in London. I'm like, that's an interesting thing because most of these guys were part of areas of the world that were colonized by England. And uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting how things go. But so there's one political freedom that we think about, political freedom, the freedom to, to live, to, to choose your own leaders, that sort of thing. We maybe think personally about freedom. Those of you who have kids, I have four kids um, they're getting older, so this is still an issue for us, but there's times when you have kids where you just like, I want a little freedom from noise, right? There's just this constant buzz in our house from, si- not buzz, there's this constant roar in our house from 6 a.m. to about 9 p.m., and there's times where that, where you just need, I just need to step outside and just hear less noise. I need that freedom. Or maybe for you, it's freedom from busyness. The calendar just has you jumping from one thing to another, to another, to another, to a soccer game, to this, to that, to a Bible study, to all this kind of stuff. And you're like, I just want a little freedom to do what I want. That hustle and bustle. I think the popular definition of freedom is I can do what I want. So we get up there and we raise our swords with William Wallace and we cry out, freedom, I want to be able to do what I want, right? Freedom of travel or the freedom of flight. We think no responsibilities, no restrictions, no controls over me. But here's what I want to ask and what I want to answer through Paul's words to the Galatian church. Is that, that idea of freedom is doing what you want, is that true freedom? Does freedom really, at its core, mean no responsibilities? on that. Don't answer. Because I think when we think about freedom and when we define freedom in the immortal words of Fezzik, we keep using that word, but I don't think that word biblically means what you think it means. Some of you got that reference. Not a lot of you. Some of you need to go back and watch Princess Bride more often, at least once a year. So what if what we think is freedom isn't really freedom? Most notions of freedom, I'm going to argue here, are in actuality an enslavement to yourself. What? What does that even mean, right? Well, we'll get there, okay? So, let's just imagine this. Even if there are no governmental or financial or physical or legal or relational restrictions in your life, I would argue, and I'm going to point to the Bible to support me on this, that you would still be enslaved to your own passions and desires. Now, before we get to Galatians, we're going to jump over to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Look at these words here, because they're going to set the background for what we're going to look at in Galatians. Titus chapter 3, verse 3, Paul's writing to his friend, Pastor Titus. He says this, For we ourselves, Paul, Titus, church, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, what's the next part? Slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So, you were a slave, Paul says. To your own passions, your own desires, your own pleasures, you are naturally enslaved to yourself. There's no neutral ground of existential freedom around you. What is popularly called freedom, do whatever I want, is at its core enslavement to your own desires. With me on this so far? A little philosophically on this one for a second here, okay? Uh, so so, so if, if I gave you, if all of a sudden you had no restrictions, there'd still be this, this matter of enslavement at your core, in your heart. I'll give you two tests. Okay? Test number one. Try going without your phone this week. Okay? You think, hey, I'm going to be free from that thing. And it will haunt you. Right? I was up in the Boundary Waters a couple weeks ago. I take like a solo trip every year, like a personal retreat, just me getting away. And I had four days where I'm just out in the wilderness. I didn't see another soul, just me, my canoe, and the rain. Uh, the last one was not planned. Uh, but I'm sitting there, my phone's off, it's deep down in my backpack, and every once in a while I'd have this like moment where I'd reach down and like... Right? You guys ever do that? It's like there's this enslavement to my own phone and being connected to the world and wondering what people are doing and wondering if somebody needs to get a hold of me and all this kind of stuff, and it would just... I'd be walking on a trail or sitting on the beach and all of a sudden I'd just like... I'd do that. I'm enslaved to that. Test number two, think about it. If I just gave you a check right now, and I promise you I will not, if I just gave you a check for $1 billion, a billion, okay? billion dollars, I gave you a check, what does your heart run to? Right? You start thinking about the car, you start thinking about paying off the mortgage, you start thinking about the stuff you could buy, debts you could pay off, all this kind of stuff that is your own, what does Paul say? passions, and pleasures. And some of you are like, well, I could feed the... Ch uh, yeah, but you probably got not the entire billion going that way, right? There's still your own passions and pleasures that enslave you. Freedom, you, you can't get away from that either, right? You just... This is the human condition, Paul says. We are slaves to various passions and pleasures. It may be an enslavement to yourself, your own passions and pleasures, or your desire to please people where you're actually enslaved to other people's unspoken demands of you. So we're enslaved to ourselves, we're enslaved to others, or I'm going to point to a third alternative in Galatians chapter 5. We can be a slave to Christ, which I'll argue here is true freedom. Enslavement to Christ is true freedom. Perceived freedom, doing whatever I want, is actually enslavement to your own passions and desires. Being a slave to Christ, and whatever that means, and we'll find out in a little bit here, is actually true freedom. So let's figure out how Galatians tells us to get here. Okay? Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, and back on my text here. For you, Paul says to the Galatian church, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. A lot of times we can take that first line, you were called to freedom, and we can like put that out there on July 4th. We can like champion that one in whatever way we want to, but Paul qualifies that and says that freedom isn't what you think it is. 
You weren't called to just go ahead and do whatever you want to whoever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want. That freedom means something. And it's a lot different than what we naturally think freedom means. You were called to freedom, brothers, Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Christian freedom, freedom in Christ, means that we are now free to serve. Paul says this, for the whole law is summed up in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you may not be consumed by one another. So freedom in Christ, Christian freedom, is entirely different than our popular notion of freedom. Right? Do you see those words there? Verses 13, 14? It's very different than what we naturally think of when we think of freedom. It's not doing whatever you want. It's serving one another. For some of you, you kind of hear that and you're like, Ugh, that, is that good? That doesn't sound... I, I want the William Wallace freedom kind of thing, just do whatever I want sort of thing. Freedom in Christ, I'm going to argue now, is better than even that. So let's kind of trace this out and see what Paul says here. First of all, Paul says freedom in Christ is not, it's not just a choice that you make, it's a calling from God. You were called to freedom. In chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says that he was called by grace to preach. And then in chapter uh, 1, verse 2, Paul says that the Galatian Christians were called in the grace of God, in the grace of Christ, that God, by the grace that is offered through the blood of Christ Jesus, calls people to himself, calls people to himself, and part of that calling, you were called to freedom. Part of what God is doing in redeeming people, saving people, justifying people, making them right with himself, is freeing them from enslavement. God calls people by grace to salvation and ministry. Chapter 2, verse 16 uh, says this, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. You're not made right with God by your own works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What does that mean? It means you can't do anything to earn God's favor. Okay? You can't do anything to make God look at you and say, that one's good enough. You can't. All right? You were called by God's grace. God placed his favor on you through the work of Christ, not your own works. You can't be right with God by your own merit. That's called law, trying to earn God's favor. And Paul, and throughout the book of Galatians, if you read Galatians, Paul's objective in Galatians is to tear down that law. You can't earn God's favor. Your only hope for right status with God, your only hope for approval with God, is the blood and grace of Christ Jesus. It's called justification. We're made right with God. We're at peace with God because of Christ's work and our faith in Christ's work. A part of that, then, is freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. It's not like... Get there. Just a second. Those who have been justified, then, those who have been saved, are also called to freedom. For freedom, Christ has set you free, Paul says. You were called to freedom. But that freedom 
may not be what you think it is. So here's where we're at so far. God calls and justifies people so that they can walk in freedom, not in slavery. And slavery is slavery to your own passions, your own desires, your own self-centeredness. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set you free in verse 1 of chapter 5. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Those of you who follow Christ, God has called you to freedom, not slavery. The slavery to the law that says, I must obey in order to earn God's favor. It's the Galatian situation in this book. Paul says, no. No, you're free from that. You don't have to perform to earn God's favor. You're free from that slavery. And there's a slavery to our flesh that we looked at in Titus where we think we can just do whatever we want. It's the modern American situation. There's an old Greek proverb that says, the free man is the one who lives as he chooses. No responsibilities, right? Paul says, no, that's slavery. You're free from that. You're free to give yourself to others. Here's the, the plain assertion of this text this morning, is that in Christ we were called not to slavery, but to freedom. Here's the difficulty, is that we can choose to use our freedom to head right back into slavery. We have this cat in our house. Nobody says you have a pet cat because there's just a cat that lives in your house on her terms. Her name is Jet because she was Jet Black when we got her, still is, and that was her name. Uh, it's what happens when you allow kids to name cat. So this poor cat, Jet, uh, lives in our house. She's an indoor cat because she's always lived in areas where you're not supposed to let your cats roam around. So every once in a while, though, the door is left open, and Jet walks out onto the porch. Terrified. Like you can just see fear in this cat. She steps out on the porch, and all of a sudden, the world is open. There's no walls. There's no barriers. There's no responsibilities. She's free, right? And she's freaked out, completely freaked out. And she runs inside, hair standing up all over her, scared to death, and just hides for a while. She doesn't know what to do with that freedom. You were slaves to your passions and desires. Christ called you to freedom. Sometimes we walk out into that freedom and head right back. Paul says, stand firm in chapter 5, verse 1. Don't submit to that yoke. You were called to freedom. Jesus didn't save you so that you could live a life enslaved to sin or enslaved to other people's demands of you. Jesus saved you so that you could give yourself to others in love. So that you could love one another. You're free to serve one another, Paul says in this passage. But so often, like my cat Jet, we just run back into that enslavement. We can choose to use our freedom to head right back into slavery. Our flesh is this corrupt human nature in all of its weakness and depravity. It's not just our physical body, but... We are slaves to it. And in our natural state, we are enemies with God. We don't choose the things of God, so we need God to open our eyes to the gospel, to call us and give us the Spirit, 
in Galatians 5 traces out what it looks like to walk in the Spirit versus walking in the flesh. Walking in the Spirit results in this fruitful life. Walking in the flesh results in a selfish, sinful life. We're called to freedom, but our flesh is still at work in us, and we make choices to give opportunity to the flesh. There's a call for vigilance here. A call to stand in freedom, to live as free people. John Stott says that freedom from sin is not freedom to sin. We can get those two confused very easily, can't we? Yeah, I'm free! I can do whatever I want! No, 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 no. That's not what freedom is in Christ. <coughs> Paul's concern is that we use our freedom to head right back into enslavement. That we realize we're free and we live as slaves. The Christian life is a life of freedom, but we have a nature that reverts back to enslavement. Sin enslaves people. We're enslaved by our sinful passions and desires. And Jesus says everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin in John chapter 8. Our flesh enslaves us to sin. We're like Smeagol, enslaved to that ring. We can think of nothing but that ring, and it just warps us at our core who we are. Christian freedom comes as we live out our justification in Christ, our right standing with God by walking in the Spirit, walking in freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. The alternative to this enslavement is a freedom to serve. This is the amazing thing about this passage in Galatians 5, is that Paul says freedom isn't just go do whatever you want. Freedom is a free a freedom to serve one another. Don't give your sinful flesh an opportunity to re-enslave you by constructing new legal systems or by thinking you can do whatever you want. Those things enslave you. Both are sinful alternatives to the true freedom we are called to in Christ. Here's what Paul says. Your freedom means that through love, you can now serve one another. You couldn't do that in the same way without Christ. You are still enslaved to your own passions and desires. Strong, uh, strong shift as Paul transitions from, you, you, you were this now, but you are called to freedom. Now, through love, serve one another. Serve. It's the verb form of the Greek word for slave. So let's start to wrap that around for a little bit here. You were called to freedom so that you can be a slave to others. That's a little difficult to think about, isn't it? (laughs) It's not easy to think about. Paul says, don't be a slave to the law. Don't be a slave slave to your own passions and desires, but be a slave to Christ serving others. One commentator says that the liberty of the gospel is not to be exercised in isolated independence. I'm like an off-the-charts introvert when you take the tests, and my idea of freedom is just like being alone somewhere out in the wilderness. I just love that, and I love doing that, and I do it from time to time. But that's not where I can live out what Christ has called me to. Christ has called us to, to love one another. The freedom that we've given, I'm free from that selfishness that pulls me away from others. I'm free to invest my life in other people. I couldn't do that without the aid of the Holy Spirit who walks with me. We were called to serve one another, but our flesh pulls us back to 
ourselves. What does this loving service look like? If you go to 1 Corinthians, you don't need to go there right now, the famous one that many of you read at your weddings, it describes this kind of love. This giving love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This love that just forgives and gives and cares. That's hard. It's difficult. Our natural state doesn't have that sort of love in it towards others. But as we understand who we are in Christ, it frees us to love others like we could never do before. It's only through Christ that we have that freedom to serve others. The motive in serving is love here, which means that it must be possible to serve with a motive other than love. You ever have uh, Sunday school teachers or church workers or people that go to, uh, what is it, Edgerton and serve out of motives other than love? Sure, right? Guilt, reward, duty, passive-aggressive power plays, right? You can, there's lots of, uh, of motives for serving. Paul says, serve love. Serve through love. And all of these other things are slavery. And Paul says, in Christ, we are free to serve. Free to serve. God's call on our lives is found in this free, loving service to our brothers and sisters. Without understanding who you are in Christ, your service will be done with wrong motives. Your service will be done in order to earn approval from, from God, which you can't. Your service might be done in order to earn approval from others, your mother, your father, your pastor, your boss. Service might be done or just feel good about yourself. Your service might be done for because you're guilty that you spent the first 40 years of your life away from the church and now you're in church and you're just like, man, I just need to serve, 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 and you're going to make up for lost time. God bless you, but there's a better way. Galatians 5 says that you are free. God has freed you. You don't need other people's approval. You don't need to perform for other people. You don't need to perform for God. God, through Christ, has given you grace, has brought you into his family, has freed you so that you can now serve out of love. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So much of our service and so much of what passes as charity and compassion in this world is done out of guilt or duty or trying to earn a tax receipt thing. Paul says there's a better way. You're free to serve because God has called you in Christ Jesus. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can have our doctrine of the Trinity or our doctrine of salvation or our doctrine of the church. It might be spot on, but we're not practically walking in loving service to our brothers and sisters, motivated by the hand of God on our life, saving us through Christ Jesus. We're missing it. We're not obeying Jesus. We're not obeying the basic principle of the law. We fail to understand that right understanding of doctrine of what God has done revolutionizes our behavior. Understanding our calling as justified men and women through faith in Jesus Christ frees us to give ourselves to others in joyful service. Let me give you a practical example here, because I'm kind of working on the theoretical a lot here. I have four kids. I mentioned that. My heart, believe it or not, doesn't always want to serve these four wonderful, nearly perfect children. 
right? There are times, our, our youngest is uh, eight, there are times, I remember when we were younger, where you hear the crying at night, and my natural propensity is not to jump out of bed at 2 a.m. and say, oh, sweetie, what, what can I do? How can I help? What do you need? That is not my natural propensity. My natural propensity is to tell my wife to, like, can you go check that out, right? It's, uh, it's an enslavement to my own passions and desires. You guys, you guys get that, right? You're on vacation, right? You're driving around, and a kid gets sick. And you had these plans, whether it's Disney World or Yellowstone or the Dells or whatever it was. Your kid gets sick, and you're like, man, this kid's got the flu. It's like a couple days coming, and it's that we can't go. What, what do you do? Right? You get a little angry, a little upset, a little devastated. Maybe even, if you're honest, a little mad at the kid for having the nerve to get sick on your vacation. Is it just me, or is it you guys as well? All right? Confession time. Your natural tendency is inward. It's selfish. You're a slave to your own passions and desires. But what are you not doing when those things happen? You're not dwelling and thinking of your status with God. You're calling to be an adopted son or daughter of God, how God has approved and made you right, given you rest in him, given you status in him, given you everything in him, that, you're called, that you are free now to serve those children. This is a hard thing to do at 2 o'clock in the morning. I get it. But this is what we're called to do. To give ourselves to others, not because we earn something, but because God has bought us at a price, gave himself to us. We're called to freedom, and that freedom is directed not at our own desires, not at our own, what can I buy with this, but our, that, that calling directs us outward towards others. All to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity to, uh, for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. The result of those who use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh in this last verse, and we'll start to wrap it up here, is not... It's, it's, it's self-obsession, but it also results in a destruction of a church. And Paul says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Last fall, I was on the uh, Serengeti. We were training some pastors in that area of Africa. We took a little one-day safari thing through the Serengeti, which is amazing. But uh, littered throughout the safari are these carcasses of zebras. And they stand out because they're, you know, black and white striped. You guys get that. But there's that just standing in this patch of, you know, grass. It's just this zebra carcass. And most of them look like somebody had taken a balloon and just let the air out of it just flat, right? It's consumed, eaten from the inside out. Paul says, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's churches out there that have had this infighting and bickering and self-centeredness that look like that deflated zebra. <laughs> Dead. Giving opportunity to the flesh doesn't just turn us into slaves, it destroys our brotherhood in Christ. It harm the church. Give the opportunity to the flesh, you bite and devour one another and you're consumed. Or, the alternative that Paul pushes us forward to is walking in freedom, which results in loving service, which shows up as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those are communal things that happen in the context of the church where we care for one another. 
We're not biting and devouring, but we're caring. We're giving. We're serving one another because God in Christ has served us. If you think freedom is the ability to do what you want, it will result in a consumed brotherhood and a consumed fellowship and a destroyed church. If you think freedom is obey these new commandments to be right with God, it will result in the church looking like a bunch of hyenas and jackals tearing at each other. You understand that freedom means forgetting yourself and loving others because God will never forget you. The Spirit will produce fruit. Tim Keller says that freedom is self-forgetfulness. Love that. Forgetting about myself so that I can give myself to my kids, my church, my neighborhood, my co-workers, my wife, my friends. I don't need the approval of others. I don't need to be constantly satisfy my own desires. I have all I need in Christ alone, so I'm now free, because of Christ's work, to give myself to loving service for others. In Christ alone can I be freed from myself and my sin and the law so that I can freely and lovingly serve others. So Christian freedom, sorry to disappoint you, is not do whatever you want. It's freedom from the awful bondage of having to merit the favor of God. You can't do that. God, in Christ, approves of you. That means there's freedom. It's freedom from a consuming self-obsession. How do I please myself? The freedom then to turn and lovingly serve one another. And for those of us who are radical introverts, that's an amazing thing. It's the freedom to enjoy knowing Christ. At the beginning of this message, I referenced Titus chapter 3 3, where Paul says that we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. I want to go back to that, but I want to read a couple more verses after that as we close. Paul says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. God calls us to himself in salvation, Part of that is calling us to freedom. But that freedom doesn't mean just go do whatever you want. That freedom means because of our status with God, that right status with God, we are now free to serve. So walk in freedom, brothers and sisters. Serve one another in love because God in Christ has served you and saved you. And those two calls of walking in freedom and serving one another are not mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. Freedom results in service. And that can only be true if Christ does some work in our hearts. So I'm going to pray for that end. And I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Our Father, we love you not because of our own goodness or our own right intentions. We love you because you first loved us.
you called us. Not when we were looking for you, but when we were dead, when we were enemies. You opened our eyes to the gospel. You showed us the beauty of Christ's death and resurrection. You showed us our need of Christ's death and resurrection, our sin, our selfishness, the guilt that we bear. You opened our eyes to that. By faith, we trust you. Saved. We're brought into your family. We're adopted as sons and daughters. We're made righteous. Our shame is taken away. Our guilt is taken away. Given your spirit to walk with us, to guide us, to empower us. We're called to you. One day we will stand with you as worshipers, as sons, as daughters, as family. But you have called us to freedom. So help us to understand that that freedom means we can serve. We can now give ourselves to others in ways that we could not before. We can give ourselves to others, not because we need to earn their approval or your approval. We can give ourselves to others because you alone are our treasure. So may we be worshipers of you. May we be servants of you. May we enjoy our freedom in Christ. Pray these things in his name. But I want to read this. We have been called to freedom, and I was drawn to Romans 6 as as Joshua's preaching and just thinking about what Christ has done for us is what it says. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Go and do that. If you don't know what it's like to have a personal relationship with Christ, to be discipled, to walk with him, come and find me, come and find Josh, come and find anybody else, and we'll point you towards Jesus, what it looks like to follow him. Have a blessed day, and go in peace. Amen.